This is a story about four people named everybody, somebody, anybody, and nobody. There was an important job to be done, and everybody was asked to do it. Everybody was sure somebody would do it. Anybody could have done it, but nobody did it. Somebody got angry about that because it was everybody's job. Everybody thought anybody could do it, but nobody realized that everybody wouldn't do it. It ended up that everybody blamed somebody when nobody did what anybody could have done. Well, that little story is applicable certainly to churches. Because the church is a volunteer organization that rises and falls upon its people's willingness to be involved. And yes, everything within a church requires that somebody does it. And unfortunately, too often, everybody thinks that somebody will do it, but nobody does it. And then everybody's unhappy, aren't they? Well, at least the job got done, because nobody did it. Now, you're maybe going to have to go and think about that one for a little bit. Well, that's one illustration of what happens in the churches. Here's another. A coach was once asked... uh, what football had done uh, to improve the physical fitness of the American people, and he replied, nothing. To which the startled interviewer responded, what do you mean? And the coach replied with this answer, he said, football is 22 men on the field in desperate need of rest and 60,000 fans in the stands in desperate need of exercise. Pretty good uh, description of football. Well, the 60,000 fans in the stands have a consumer mentality. They came to be entertained, to consume. And it happens all too often we come to church with a consumer mentality. We come for what we can receive from church, how it makes us feel, the programs it offers, the fellowship, the comfort, on a goals. But the ones who actually receive the most from church will be the ones who came looking to serve. And this is just a little rabbit trail for you to think about this week. It's the same thing in marriage. The one who receives the most out of marriage is the one who comes into marriage to serve. You know, this is not bad in itself, coming and expecting to receive. We should expect to receive. And we should be receiving. But that should not be our first attitude when we come to church. Our first attitude should be this What can I offer the church? What can I bring to the church? If the first question is, what can I offer the church? And your second question is, what do I receive from the church? That not only would transform you as the individual, but would transform the church. If we all had that attitude. The church is desperately in need of each of us. Uh, We desperate and we individually desperately need to be part of the church and serving in the church. And so when you are not involved in the church, the church suffers and you as the individual suffer. You will suffer, I believe, in your obedience to Christ. You will suffer in your love and passion for Christ. You will suffer in your love and passion for each other. And you will suffer because there's just a loss of growth and blessing in your life. And so this morning, I want to look at the responsibilities of a church member. And what we're going to look at this morning is what everybody should be doing. And so you are part of everybody. And uh, if you're sitting here this morning and you're not a member, 
Most of these you, you can be doing, actually all of you, them you can be doing except for the last one that I bring forward. You can still play a vital role here. And so these are the responsibilities that all, everybody should be doing. The first one is the responsibility of prayer. I'd like our council to stand here, our church council. How many of you are praying for these people this week? Just a few hands. You know, that's the responsibility of everyone. We should be praying for our church leadership every week. should be at least once a week. You can sit down. Okay, you're all sitting down. They already took that cue. Uh, leaders come under a greater attack from Satan and people. They face more criticism. They have greater responsibility and thus greater accountability. And so I encourage you to pray for their families, pray for them. As you go through struggles during the week and as you face temptations, turn that into a prayer for your leaders because they face similar struggles and similar temptations. Pray that they lead well. Pray that they pay attention to their spiritual lives. Okay, let's just switch that around. How many of you have prayed for the programs of the church this week? A few? That's good. What are the needs of the programs? What are the struggles? What's the vision of each of these things that these programs serve? What are they accomplishing? We need to be praying for those things. Pray for those who are serving in those programs that they could balance life well and serve well. How many of you have prayed for the children and youth of this church this week? A lot more hands. Showing a lot more concern there. How many prayed for the youth and the children of the community this week? Quite a few hands. How many of you have prayed for someone this week that you knew was struggling in health or struggling with a temptation? Again, a lot of hands. That's good. How many of you use scripture to guide you in your prayers this week? You know, Ephesians 1 gives us a prayer of Paul's. He said, For this reason, since I heard about your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all the saints... I have not stopped giving thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know him better. I pray also that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened, that you may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints, and his incomparably great power for us for who, who believe. So easy to just take that prayer and turn it into a prayer for someone giving thanks for the person, asking that the God would reveal himself to that person in wisdom and in knowledge so that that person would know him better and on you can go through it. Another prayer of Paul's in Ephesians 3 says, I pray that out of his glorious riches he may strengthen you. Put someone's name there. Through, uh, strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being so that Christ may dwell in that person's heart through faith. So that person would become rooted and established in love and would have power together with the rest of us 
to grasp how long and wide and high and deep is the love of Christ. May they just experience your love and come to a greater understanding this week. And to know this love that surpasses knowledge that they, that person may be filled with the measure of all the fullness of God. So easy to take that scripture and just pray it for someone. But literally anywhere where scripture speaks to you, you can turn that into a prayer for someone else. Did scripture speak to you this week? I'm hoping most of you say yes. Can you turn that into a prayer for someone? Yes, you can. And so prayer, it's the responsibility of everybody, for all of us. For some of you, this is your place of ministry. Just as it may be someone's place of ministry to be teaching or doing a different job or with the children downstairs this morning. For some of you, this is your place of ministry, is prayer. Perhaps God has given you the gift of faith, that gift to be able to discern the will of God and pray for it in people's lives. And so Ephesians 6 says that we're to pray on, in the Spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. With this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for all the saints. That's written to all of us. Member or non-member. But I especially challenge you as members, pick it up. Because if we as members are not fulfilling this, how can we ask it of non-members? The church thrives when its people pray. You know, so often I think we turn it around and we say the church thrives when the people are serving. And that's true. And that's good. But more importantly, the church thrives when its people pray. Second responsibility as a member is to faithfully attend. Hebrews chapter 10, uh, verse 23 says, Let us hold on swervingly to the hope we profess, for he who promises faithful. And let us consider how we may spur one another on towards love and good deeds. Let us not give up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but let us encourage one another, and all the more as you see the day approaching. And so the author there is saying we're to be faithfully attending in order to encourage each other, to spur each other on to love and to good deeds, to encourage each other to hold faithfully to the hope. Don't get cold, stay firm. We're to be doing that, meeting together to do that. You know, a member that detaches itself from the physical body can only stay alive for a certain length of time. And the moment's detached, it's starting to decay, even though it's still alive. When our children were young, one of the children slammed our oldest daughter's finger in the door, and it was a very tight door, and our little finger, and it actually cut it off. Um, just part of her finger there, and it was just hanging by a scrap of skin. I went and took that, her hand and her finger, and I packed it in ice, wrapped it up, and rushed her to the hospital. And there they sewed it back on. Now, why did I wrap that severed finger in ice? Because the moment it's detached from the body, it starts to decay. And I wanted to slow that down, hoping that they could reattach it, which they did. 
Donated organs, they can spend some time. That's why we can do transplants. They can spend some time outside the body. Your kidney can last about 30 hours, nearly 30 hours outside the body. Your pancreas or liver, nearly 12 hours. Your heart or lungs is less than six hours. They can only last so long because once separated from the body, they start to decay. A while back, I read the story, it was in the news, of a a woman in the U.S. uh, She was out gardening, and she found this poisonous snake in her garden, and she attacked it, and she cut off his head with a shovel. And a little bit later, her husband came home, and she told him about this, so he went out to remove the head and the body, and he reached down to grab the head, and it bit him. And he nearly died. Yes, a snake can bite you after you cut its head off. Because they're cold-blooded, their metabolism is slow, and so they don't quickly die after the head's cut off. It takes quite some time. And uh, the longest known instance of where a person has been bitten by a snake's head after it's been cut off is 90 minutes. It's quite a while. Well, the point is, remove yourself from the body, and a dying process begins. You pull a stick out of the fire, and what starts to happen to that stick? It starts to cool. And when we detach ourselves from the body of Christ, the church, we begin to die towards love and good deeds. We need the encouragement of each other. That's what uh, the author is saying here in Hebrews 10. And he puts in here the phrase, as some are in the habit of doing. This has always been a problem. And... uh, One of the surveys taken several years ago in Ontario, they came up with this, that many today feel that they're committed, faithful attendees of church if they show up once a month. You know, if you're showing up together with God's people once a month, there'll be a problem happening in your life because you're not receiving that spurring on of each other, that encouraging of each other like you need to. God intended that we be meeting regularly so that we spur each other on, encourage each other. And yes, there's exceptions when we'll not be in church. You're away, you're sick. But that's what they should be. They should be exceptions. And so this is a command. He's not saying, if you feel like it. It's a command. If you're, and it, it's not to be just a legalistic thing. And if you're here because you're legalistically here, well, I'm glad you're here this morning. But I want it to be more than that. Because if the Holy Spirit is working in your heart, you're going to want to worship together. You want to pray together. You want to hear the word together. You want to fellowship together. The want to is the work of the Holy Spirit. And if we're missing that want to, we should become concerned about ourselves. Because something's wrong there when the Spirit gives you the want to, and you don't have the want to, there's a spiritual problem. But our faithful attendance is also necessary for the church. When you stay away, the whole group miss, they miss what you bring to the group. We need you. You bring something to this group that when you're away, we miss. And it's different for all of us. 
but God has designed you to bring something to this group. We'll miss the encouragement you bring. We miss the fellowship that you bring. We miss your input of ideas. We miss the serving you bring. You see, when you remove a stick out of the fire, it's not just the stick that's dying. The whole fire is diminished. The fire misses the stick that's been removed. The next responsibility of a member is the responsibility to faithfully support the church financially. And we don't have time here this morning to develop what the church says about giving. I want to do that in the future. But here's just some simple points for you that the Bible presents about giving. Giving is your act of worship towards God. And your giving reflects your heart towards God. Giving is to be joyful. Giving is commanded for all believers and giving us a necessity for the health of the church and for its outreach. 2 Corinthians 8, 7 says, Just as you excel in everything else, you excel in your faith, in your speech, in your knowledge, in your earnestness, in your love, he says, also excel in the grace of giving. And I like the term that he uses there, excel in the grace of giving. Go home and think about what that means. So yes, the church does need your money. And this often has a negative connotation out in the world and even amongst believers is, well, all they're after is your money. And unfortunately, there are groups out there that are after people's money and they've given a bad name to uh, Jesus. And no, as a church, we're not after your money. What we're after is that you become a fully committed follower of Jesus Christ And that will involve your money. And it's to your blessing when it does involve your money. And yes, the church does need your money. Because the church is an organization and any organization needs money for the maintenance of the facilities, paying the bills, uh, for salaries, um, for fellowship. Go in the Old Testament uh, as you begin to follow this thought through a lot of the giving was actually to be devoted towards celebration. They were to spend it on themselves celebrating God. We need money for teaching materials. We need money to help out people. We need money for outreach, for missions. The list goes on. Without money, those things don't happen. And so a church can only reach out to the extent that its people are generous. It even costs money to save souls. Let's go to the next responsibility, and that's to bring others into the church family. And we'll have that video played, please. What do you want? 
Ms. Edwards, I know I ask you this like every week, but would you like to ride to church with me? Oh, come on, Mrs. Edwards, you'll like my church. We have some hot music. It may not be what you're bumping at all, but it's hot. We get down. What do you say, Mrs. Edwards? Oh, I suppose. I've heard it said that 80% of first-time church visitors come because someone personally invited them. All people need to feel loved and wanted, and for some people, it just takes having someone offer to give them a ride to church. We have something great going on at this church. People's lives are being transformed by God's love. Your homework this week is to find at least one person who could use a little more of that love and invite them to come with you next week. Trust me, it's worth the extra effort. Mrs. Edwards, you want to listen to some music on the way? Go ahead, your choice. Okay, here we are. Are you excited about your church? Then pass that excitement on to others. Invite them. You know, people want to go where people are excited. And let that spill over to other people and invite them. But you know, ultimately, it's not about inviting people to church. It's about introducing people to Jesus through a relationship with you. You know, one thing I love about this video, and if you caught it there, this was a weekly invitation that he was giving her. In other words, this was flowing out of a relationship that he had with her. And eventually, she responded to that relationship. The majority of people first come to church not really because they're looking to go to church. They come to church because they have a relationship with you. And that's what draws them in. Their relationship with Jesus begins with a relationship with a person, someone else. And so I just encourage you, develop those relationships, uh, invite people into your life, your home, your activities, and getting them to the church will be the natural outcome of that. And so invite those who used to come to church. Uh, go back to them and tell them, we're excited about our church. Come. We'd like you to be there with us. People want to be where things are happening and where people are excited. Next responsibility for us as members, and that's to hold each other accountable. When I was in Bible school, I was telling my roommate a story, and uh, he stopped me cold, and he said, Don, that's gossip, and I don't want to hear it. And then he went on for about the next 15 minutes, and he just gave me a lecture. And I didn't think it was gossip, but he did. Now, the situation was both good and bad for me. His rebuke was good for me because it made me examine myself, and that was good for me. And I had to admit that I need to be careful. But I didn't feel loved by him. His tone and his lecture didn't convey that. I felt corrected, but not loved. 
And Galatians 6, uh, starting in verse 1, says, Brothers, if someone is caught in sin, you who are spiritual should restore him gently. But watch yourself, or you also may be tempted. Carry each other's burdens. Now, we talk about, well, that's the context. Somebody has a struggle. You come alongside and help them, financial or whatever else. And that's good. But the context here is they're caught in sin. Carry each other's burdens when they're caught in sin. And in this way, you will fulfill the law of Christ, which is love. We're to speak the truth in love to each other. We're to come alongside when someone is caught in sin and you gently help them carry their burden. You're gently restoring them back. Restore him gently. That's a responsibility. You know, as churches, we don't do very well with helping each other out when it comes to our sins in life. We don't do very well with that. But that's one of the responsibilities of a church member is to be coming along each side of each other in love and bringing people back. The next responsibility is the responsibility to promote peace within the church. I'll just give you two passages. Ephesians 4.29 says, Only do and speak that which builds each other up. Anything that brings discord problems, we're not to speak or do. Only that which builds up. Philippians 2 tells us to put each other ahead of ourselves, to pursue unity, to serve each other. And so I'm going to link the responsibility to promote peace within the church to the next responsibility for a member, and that's to guard the good name of the church and to guard the good name of Christ. You know, I've cringed at times what people will do sometimes. Many years ago, I was in a hardware store in a community, and a man came in, and I didn't know who he was, but uh, he asked to talk to the manager, and the manager came out, and uh, the man said, I'm from such and such a church, and uh, we'd like to make this order, and uh, we want you to give us a discount at your cost. And the manager said, "Uh uh-uh, I can't do that. And uh, the pastor actually got belligerent. We are a charity, and you owe it to us. And I just sat there, and I cringed. You're destroying the name of Christ, and you're destroying the name of the church that you serve. I could tell you so many stories. I could tell you the story of a man in a church as he would deal with officials, town officials and so on, his philosophy was just do it, get things done, and then ask for forgiveness afterwards. He got things done, but it created problems. I could tell you the story of a man who went and he borrowed town equipment without asking to work on the church property and created a huge offense with the town council. We could just go on and on. It's the responsibility of a church member that we always examine what we say and we do in the light of, does this build the name of the church? Or does it harm the name of the church? Does it build the name of Christ in our community or does it do harm to the name of Christ? 
But it's not just in those relationships outside the church that builds the name or destroys the name. 1 Thessalonians 5, 13 says, Live at peace with each other. Always try to be kind to each other and to everyone else. Our town is sitting there and they're watching us, how we treat each other. And more harm has been done to the name of churches and to the name of Christ, not by how we treat the town people, but by how we treat each other. And so again, everything we do and speak to each other is to be done in a way that builds each other up. They'll know that you are Christians by your love for one another. Believe me, the town is listening. They're watching. Luke 6 says that uh, we're to love our enemies, we're to do good to those who hate you, we're to bless those who curse you, pray for those who mistreat you. If someone strikes you on one cheek, turn to him the other also. If someone takes your cloak, do not stop him from taking your tunic. Give to everyone who asks you, and if anyone takes what belongs to you, do not demand it back. Do to others as you would have them do unto you. And the person who's your enemy, who hates you, who doesn't bless you, who curses you, and on it goes, often is someone else in the church. And Jesus says, this is how we respond. We love them. We do good to that person. We bless them. We pray for them. And when there's someone in the church that is mistreating you and you treat them back with the love of Christ, believe me, the world looks on and they say, how can that person do that? And when you start to see the majority of the church are doing that, it just really stands out for them. And so things like gossip, backbiting, anger should not be within the church. But the reality is the church is made up of ordinary people. You're an ordinary person. I'm an ordinary person. We, we're ordinary people we've, who have accepted the grace of Jesus. But at salvation, we were not instantly transformed into a saint who never does anything wrong. The reality is, you're going to hurt each other. At times, you're going to offend each other. And so often, when someone is hurt and they're offended, they stop their journey with Jesus. But that shouldn't be us. Instead of stopping our journey with Jesus, we should be a people of grace to each other. Because I'm not perfect either. I need to extend grace to you because I need grace from you back to me. And so it's the responsibility of a church member that we would pray, love, bless when those things happen. Extend that grace. It's okay to be hurt, but please don't take offense. Acknowledge your hurt and forgive and love. Romans 14 says that let everything, let us therefore make every effort to lead to that which leads to peace and to mutual edification or mutual building each other up. And also, Romans 15, may the God who gives encouragement and encourage you and gives endurance and encouragement give you a spirit of unity among yourselves as you follow Jesus Christ. So the one heart and mouth you may glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. When our community sees us with one heart and mouth glorifying God, 
It'll stand out to them. It'll stand out. Another thing I want to say there, again, we are going to have disagreements because we're human. We're not always going to get along. But we should never, ever take our unhappiness outside of the church. So often I've seen that happen where someone is unhappy with something in the church and they go and they talk it outside of the church. And when you do that, you're just tearing down the name of the other people. You're tearing down the name of the church and you're tearing down the name of Jesus. If you're unhappy, deal with it in the church and take it to Jesus. Don't throw the name of the church away or the name of a fellow believer. Next responsibility is to support the leadership. And uh, this doesn't mean that you blindly follow or have to agree with your leadership. Supporting the leadership at times means that you're going to have to go and hold the leader accountable. It may mean that you need to go and give advice. It may mean that you disagree and you need to let the leader know that. You need to oppose in the right way. It may mean at uh, times you even ask the tough questions. In fact, if you don't do those things, you're not loving them and supporting them. Many years ago, high level, one of the young men, he came to me a couple weeks after I'd preached a message. He said, Don, you know that message a couple weeks ago? He said, that was a good message. I really enjoyed that. But he said, the fact that you didn't follow up with another message, with the other side of the picture, you left us with an unbalanced message. And I said, you know, I never thought of that. You're right. I need to follow that up and balance the picture. And he kind of, he says, I was scared to death to come and talk to you. Um, Because he was brought up, you don't challenge your leaders. But we need it. It sharpens us. We're ordinary too. And we make mistakes. Nor do we always have the right ideas, the right thoughts. You see, the leaders need the church. And so supporting them means that you will do those things, but you do it out of love. First Thessalonians 5 tells us, he said, uh, we ask you to respect those who work hard among you, who are over you in the Lord and admonish you. Hold them in the highest regard and love because of their work. Live in peace with each other. And so, yes, you are to love them. You are to respect them and hold them up. You are to live in peace with them. But they also need that other whole thing. Do it in love. Hebrews 13 says, Obey your leaders and submit to their authority. It says that uh, you're to pray for the leaders so that uh, they could have a clear conscience. The leadership needs you. And you have a responsibility as a member to support them. Encourage them, bless them, and thank them. Next responsibility is the responsibility to use your spiritual gift or gifts. 1 Corinthians 12 says, To each one the manifestation of the Spirit is given for the common good. 
God has given you, as you go on in that passage, he's given you at least one spiritual gift that you're to use for this body of believers, for their good. It's not about you. Your gift is not about you. It's about the good of the group. Ephesians 2 says that God, for each one of us, has in advance, he has prepared the good works that he wants you to do. God knew that you would believe, and he already prepared in advance the things he wanted you to do for the good of the group and service to him. And I'll just throw this in here. As churches, we don't do well. We confine it often to those spiritual gifts have to be used in this building. And there's many of you, the gift that God has given you, he wants you to use it outside this building in the community and so on. And when you do so, you're serving this body, this group, as you do so. Then one last responsibility for us as members, and this is up to now, all of those responsibilities, you don't have to be a member to do them. But we should be doing them as members, because if we're not doing them as members, we cannot expect those who aren't members to be joining us in those things. This last one is for the members of the church who are actual taking out membership. And that responsibility is to be regularly involved in the business of the church. Within our Canadian context, a church is a society, which means that legally we have to have a constitution, a statement of belief, a faith, and we have to be governed by a set of rules. And this church is a congregational style of church governance, which means that the membership is its top authority. So the membership is the final decision-making body. And so the membership elects a council, which carries out the day-to-day business of the church, but the council does it underneath the authority of the membership. And so membership means that every member has a responsibility to be involved in the congregational meetings. It depends, the whole system depends on each of you that are members having a voice and giving your voice. It's important that you do so. Together we make better decisions. Now some might be saying, well, it doesn't matter. They're going to make, you know, if I show up in the meeting or don't show up, they'll make the same decision anyways. Well, perhaps, perhaps not. But if you do not attend, do you have the right to complain? And if you feel that it doesn't matter if you attend, soon that attitude just changes. Everything begins to break down and unhappiness develops. And the church can lose vision and direction. It's your responsibility as a member to be current and involved in the affairs of the church. Here's what I've seen in different situations where members are not current and involved. They don't think it matters. And they stay away from the business meetings until suddenly there's a decision made at the business meeting that they don't like. And then they're unhappy and they complain, and they create dissension. It does matter if you're there. We need your input. So if this church is to survive long term, 
There's one thing that needs to happen. My generation must pass the ministry off to the younger generation. And you have to pick this up, and you have to say, we're going to pick up the responsibilities of being a member. And my question is, are you willing to do that? There's a story about four people named everybody, somebody, anybody, and nobody. There was an important job to be done, and everybody was asked to do it. Everybody was sure somebody would do it. Anybody could have done it, but nobody did it. Somebody got angry about that because it was everybody's job. Everybody thought anybody could do it, but nobody realized that everybody wouldn't do it. It ended up that everybody blamed somebody, but nobody did what anybody could have done. Well, this morning I put the spotlight on everybody, what everybody is to be doing, what everybody should do. And so my question is, will you do what everybody should be doing? Because we don't want to end up at the end where nobody's doing what everybody should have been doing. Let's pray. Father, I just thank you for this local church. It's a blessing to be a part of it. We all receive from it. We gain so much from being a part of this church. Help us this morning just to realize that all of us have a responsibility to be putting back into the church, to be following through on these different responsibilities. And these apply to all of us. And I ask that you would just help us to take them seriously. And I just believe that if we would just all take them seriously, we would be just so blessed as a church. So I just ask for your work, your spirit to be doing his work in each of our hearts, confirming these things and bringing us to where we're faithful in doing these things. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.